This is this is fine. This is fine. This is fine. This is fine. This is a poor substitute for therapy, but an excellent substitute for other podcasts. We're not like other podcasts. Join us as we find the answers to the universe's biggest questions like, is butter a carb? Does crying burn calories? And what the fuck am I doing with my life? We're here to be your part-time therapist, astrologer, concierge doctor, and fairy godmother. Do you need someone to validate you today? Cool, cool, cool. Come on in. We're fine. This is fine. Welcome back. And again, happy holidays, my beautiful listeners. I am so glad you've carved some time out of your day for another therapy session on This Is Fine. Today, we've got therapist Jason Mass, New York-based mind-body-soul psychotherapist and expert in somatic therapy. If you're not sure what that last term means, that's great because that's our topic du jour. Somatic Therapy 101. What is it, who needs it, and how it can change your life? I'm so grateful that Jason has joined us on a call today from New York so he can impart this beautiful practice and share a new way of healing with all of us. We're going to learn about the disconnection between our brains and bodies and how we can find clues in our bodies that help us heal. We'll also get into how to start your somatic therapy journey today while you're listening to this very podcast. All right, let's do it. All right, Jason, thank you so much for joining us here on This Is Fine. We are so honored to have you. Thank you for bringing your presence, your energy, and imparting this new wisdom with all of our listeners. We're so grateful. Thank you. It's really great to be here. Thank you. So let's just jump right in. I would love for you to give our listeners more of a background on your training, how you got into somatic therapy, how you got into therapy in general. Just take it from the top wherever you would like to. (laughs) Sure. Um, yeah, I consider myself an integrated mind, body, soul psychotherapist and, um, the mind, the body and the soul kind of represent three elements that I'm weaving together in my work all the time and also reflect on my life's path of coming to being a therapist and the different trainings and approaches that I, that I had in, um, first training in psychoanalysis and then somatic psychotherapy and then energetic ancestral and spiritual psychotherapy. And I would say that my formal training to become a therapist, therapy was actually my third career. My first career was an elementary school or teacher that um, gave me a foundational understanding of the ways in which um, adults are just big kids who <laughs> needed this, this, the same you know, love and um, uh, attention and care that, that we do when we're little and um, and gave me an understanding of developmental psychology for sure. And I was also um, very much at the time really dedicated to the art of port- portraiture. I studied all over the world as a, as a, as a painter and a draftsman and um, didn't realize at the time, but now I understand now that the kind of the microanalysis of the, of how people hold themselves and the muscles around the face and our posture really helped set me up to understand, you know, the somatics of how to work with people and be a presence for them to help them bring more awareness to how they hold their bodies. And, um, and it wasn't until I, in my, in my second career as, a, as, a, as an arts nonprofit founder, um, where I was tasked with helping artists volunteer in their communities and then make art about it and, and support their art through grants, residencies, and shows, that through that process of putting on art shows, art show after art show, and realizing that I actually wasn't interested in the art that I was helping support, I was interested in the well-being of the artist himself and realized it wasn't as much about the art as much as I love, you know, creativity and expression as the fundamental foundational human needs. And I love to nourish and inspire that in people. I really deeply care about the person as a whole and um, went back to school, went to Brooklyn College and got um, my degree in counseling and in that time the 
did my my clinical internship at a psychoanalytic institute, which is about as cognitive as one can get and mind-based and found a lot of tools there, a lot of real, real wisdom there, but also found a lot of challenges, problems, and antiquated ideas that um, I didn't agree with. Yeah, I bet, and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and did my postgraduate work getting my licensure uh, with a man named Daniel Cook, um, which had a somatic psychotherapy practice. And he holds the lineages of Nairobi University, which is... Um, one of the top places to, to study somatic psychotherapy in the country and um, got a, a really deeper understanding of, of that work. And, and I, somatic psychotherapy encapsulates a great deal of how I work and I time and I can go into this. <laughs> if you're listening at home right now and you don't know what somatic therapy means, we are going to get into that. Jason, I love that your background incorporates this mixture of looking at human beings in child form and then seeing people as children as they age, just like little kids in these adult bodies running around. And then the portraiture, like you brought up, I think is such a beautiful metaphor for human beings in general, like who we are captured by a portrait. It's it's such a beautiful I, I want to say like tactile or visual representation of the abstract and then moving into the therapeutics and like seeing people in their verbal, like most raw states. Did you always know that you wanted to do somatic therapy once you made that pivot into therapy? Was that introduced to you before you got into therapy, during your schooling? When did that come into your field? Yeah, I was not introduced to it at first and they, they buried the course Later on in my um, studies at Brooklyn College, um, I was really interested in object relations work, which is which is a which kind of came out of psychoanalysis, and then took this, which I'm still very interested in, but it's only become a facet of, of the integrated model that I have. I took a class with this awesome teacher, as you know. Things seem to often go in this world when we have an awesome teacher. It can really change the course of our life. And her name is Karen Weidenmuller. And she had this wonderful presence, just deeply embodied and caring and soft, and but also really clear. And I just really, really liked her energy and was able to learn that she practiced this this way of being that was also how her, her therapy was of being very embodied and very um, aware of how she was holding herself and um, mindful. And that led me on a path of wanting to understand more, learn more and, and do that kind of work in the world. That's so beautiful. I love that you were inspired by someone who was really like walking the walk and not just, you know, talking about it, but literally practicing what she was preaching. I think those are always the best kinds of teachers. So in terms of what somatic therapy is, let's break that down for anyone who doesn't understand the concept. My non-therapeutic background, I'm like, oh, it's connecting the brain and the body. Can we talk about a little bit of what it really is and the actual connection between the brain and the body? Maybe how we became disconnected between those two things? Sure. Yeah. So I, I would say, you know, for our listeners, traditional talk therapy, I would say is more um, is more mind-based. Um, you know, in some ways, the two main schools of traditional talk therapy, there is a psychoanalytic institute um, that, that was really kind of pioneered and um, propped up by Sigmund Freud. And, and then there was the cognitive behavioral that came some decades later and in some ways, those two schools of thought were the prevailing schools of thought for the next 50 years in certain ways. Um, a lot, right. Some of the somatic, somatic work came, did come um, right. And, and these, these, these folks that were in the, the, the time, but they didn't really get their due. And it wasn't really until the 70s, 80s that some folks started kind of codifying stuff and naming it and um, and really in some ways hasn't grown in popularity until this past decade in certain ways totally. um, as, a, as, as a mode as a means of, of really popularized means of helping people 
And I would say that this, that, that talk therapy, you know, traditional talk therapy anyway, is about really, you know, excavating and understanding your, your thoughts, the behaviors that come out of those thoughts, the consequences that come out of those behaviors, um, your, the family history that you have, the stories that you hold, the story about who you um, have, have been told you are, or told yourself you are, and who you'll never be. And it's about really understanding that process and bringing awareness, bringing awareness to those thoughts will then allow for choice. That's, that's in some ways how, that, you know, how the process goes. And there's so much wisdom in that. And that, that we're not going to throw a baby out with that order and say that, that one of these are any better than, or than any of the others. But right. I would say that if we stop there, we miss so much. Right. It's like, we have this beautiful tool. Why would you only use, like, if you have like a whole toolkit that's got like a hammer and a screwdriver and some pliers, but you like only use the hammer, like you're missing out these other tools. Maybe this is a bad metaphor. <laughs> but no, That's right. Um, that's, exactly, that's exactly right. And, okay, cool. I'm like, uh, is the student grasping the concept? Like, <laughs> 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 for anyone listening who's also a student with me. So I, I love that this is yet another access point to what we need to discover about ourselves, how we can heal ourselves, what we can truly live in and embody, whether you're accessing it from the physical quote unquote symptom or experience first, or the more mental, psychological, emotional experience first. You explain this really well, how both are entry points into somatic healing. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we can. So, you know, in some ways, this, the somatic being the, the moment-to-moment awareness of our whole body, the ability to know that our, our body has held our experience, uh, that has held the history of our life, um, that has held the history of our ancestry, too, that our, our ancestral, um, you know, the, the, what, what our ancestors learned, what our ancestors struggled with, we inherit in our bodies, too. So that's... That's a, that's a further piece to this, but even just in our own lifetime, there's something that is that resides as an, in, an intelligence in the body that we we miss if we think of this as just a, a neck up approach. Right. And so and so you might we might be able to kind of go from the mind into the body. I you know if 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 someone is maybe feeling really activated. Um, and they may be talking about what's activating them. I may be cued into wanting, you know, that they're saying, uh, I just, I'm feeling, um, you know, so much remorse and regret for, for how it all happened the other night. And I, and I just, I feel like I always do this and this is like how I'm always going to live and this is how I'm always going to be. And I might just say, like, can we just slow this down a little bit? Like, as you're saying this, maybe like, how do you feel in your body? what's happening, where do you, you know, I might like kind of tune into their posture and they may be all caved in and they may say that their, their, their heart feels really tight and heavy. And, and so, you know, we, I may, may just be, let's just be there. Let's be with the tightness in the heart. What does it feel like? What is, if you could kind of visual, visualize it as like, um, as like, like the edges of this tightness, is it, does it feel spiky? Does it feel cloudy? Does it have a texture to it? Does it have a sound to it? Does it have like a directionality that it wants to move? Does it want to move like up into your throat? Does it want to move down into your gut? You know, just, just I might throw lots of different kind of ways we may see our, our t- the, the quote-unquote tension in our body. I might also ask to just maybe bring up a memory of when they might have first felt this. We may go back to some memory of childhood and and then we might go back into the story about that's that's the moment where they start where they when they believe that they were inherently bad you know and we may find these kind of clues that bring us back into these earlier moments of being and then and this just the interesting phenomenon that when we're able to give something voice it's able to be released able to let something go this this belief that we 
we incurred or maybe someone told us that we believed. And we and it's only through this kind of working with the mind and the body that we can actually identify this stuff. There are potentially a lot of clues that are being stored in our body that we aren't even aware of that if we do tune into them, we can heal and grow and be more present in ourselves and our relationships, but we just weren't aware of it. So by connecting, like you said, everything from the neck up with everything from the, the neck down, we might be able to access things we weren't even aware were an issue. That's right. Cool. I would love to dive a little deeper into why we did separate everything from the neck up. And we talked about this before offline, where if you are using your insurance, it might be like Blue Shield for your physical health insurance and Magellan for your mental health insurance. Those are two separate things in the American healthcare system, but truly one in the same. And I know we've already had this conversation, you and me, but I would love for our listeners to get a little uh, history lesson, a little flavor, cultural context of why we do separate the brain and the rest of the body. Why I'll go to you know a cardiologist and get that all covered for my heart with my normal American health insurance. But when it comes to you know talking through a trauma, I have to go through a completely different network. It's totally separated. That's right. It's, it's, I mean, we, can, we can thank Descartes, perhaps, you know, the late 17th century philosopher to help, help kind of codify this system into a philosophical school of thought that, that then we're able to, the, the, you know, the church and state were able to utilize in different ways and has become in some ways ultimately, I think, a method of control um, mm -hmm. to, to separate the, the dualism, the mind and the body. That there were, you know, those who had the mind, those who had, had thoughts, and there were those that, that didn't, you know, and like those had the power. So I think there's like a systemic connection to this. And also I think it predates, I think it predates further back. I, I see the separation mm -hmm. of mind and body as a, it's not just as, Descartes' as, fault. <laughs> no, actually, for better or for worse, it's not. Um, this I see this separation need to separate things as a trauma response um, of a world that's really still reeling from this idea of civilization, which is really in some ways the, the, the creation of colonies throughout mm -hmm. the, the indigenous world. And that this process is a process of separation, that the colony is separate from the land around it. The practices of the colony are separate from the indigenous practices around it. The, the people are separated, you know, and, and into different strata. Um, and there's just so many layers to this, to, to how the separation has, in, has incurred um, really a real devastation on the human family and on our um, kind of inability to thrive together. And, and one of the ways that this works is it, it, the separation ha has happened in our own bodies. And it's, there's so many ways in which we're separate, we separate things and rationalize them. And, you know, what, what, I, like, what I like to say is, is, you know, people, people are proud of being rational. And I think that there's, there's a value in, in rationalism. I, I very, very much do, but also, you know, to think that rationalism is, is all there is, is to live on rations. I mean, you're literally rationing, you're, you're separating out this, this little bit from the rest in order to try to maintain a sense of order. And therefore you, it's, we can't, we can subsist on all that there is. So all this is, is to say that somatic, kind of uniting the, the body and the mind is a way to help ease, you know, and kind of bring the scope back, you know, you know, we can look at it from thousands of years, but we can also look at it just in the day-to-day -day of just feeling disconnected, um, feeling anxious. I like to think of the, the, the different, um, uh, parts of our body is like different radio stations and we're tuned into the radio station of our head all the time and the, and mm -hmm. the different kind of thoughts that are that are just sort of cycling and circling around but we're not tuned into the radio station of the heart to say what is our heart saying right now we do have that vocabulary 
you know, you know, listen to your heart, listen to your gut. But do how often do we actually do that, and do we know how? Is a, is a big part of my work to help people to do that. Beautiful. And it's there. I love that you brought up the idea of unity because as you were saying this, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is such a bigger scope. Like this is one piece of the separation puzzle that you just went into. The antidote to separation is obviously unity. And it feels like somatic therapy is the antidote to the separation of our brains and bodies, which obviously from everything that we just laid out is a deeply entrenched cultural thing. But the way that it transpires in our bodies can be, in my mind, one example is the the separation of our head and our stomach while we're eating. We could be eating and eating and eating, but our stomach catches up later, right? And it's like, wait, you went way too far. Or the opposite. I could be so in my head, I'm just dragging myself for a second. I could be so in my head working on something that I forget that I need to eat or go to the bathroom because I'm not at all tuned into my physicality. I'm just head, 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 head. And I know I'm not the only person. I know a lot of people will relate to that as well. But it's sort of like a symptom or the aftermath of everything that you just outlined. So ideally, somatic therapy would be the remedy to this. It's just a very powerful one, for sure. So I know that you have started with a lot of your clients, your patients, with just looking at breathing. And we've talked about how this is a really nice access point, sort of a somatic therapy 101 for people listening at home, whether they're walking or sitting down, hopefully not driving while we're about to do an exercise. But this would be a really nice physical first person way for someone to experience what somatic therapy is. Do you want to walk through that practice a little bit? Sure. Yeah, I would say that early in in work with someone, what I might um, check in with them about is how they breathe. And, and I think that we are trained to breathe incorrectly, especially with our, our need to maintain an image of having a flat stomach. Um, mm-hmm. It's very natural for us to kind of be tensing our stomach and holding our stomach in. And I find that people can breathe backwards as a result. And I, I might just spend some time to saying, well, let's, let's just do a little breathing. And it's called three-part breath. And so there's three, imagine three parts to the lungs. That there's the bottom of the lungs. So if we take a breath in, the bottom of our lungs can fill up first, like a balloon. We can put a hand on our, like over our belly button. The middle of our lungs will, will inflate next. That's our rib cage. You put a hand there. And then the base of the lungs is um, like the top of the throat, or I'm sorry, the base of the throat. So, so the three points are like over your belly button, the rib cage, and the base of the throat. So, Let's try to just do that three-part breath. A nice, comfortable seat. So we'll take a nice deep breath in, inflating the, the base of our, of our lungs, our belly button, like a balloon. And you can move the hand to the rib cage, feeling the rib cage expand. And you can move your hand to the base of the throat, feeling that clavicular breath, the, the top of the lungs, and then let it all out. We'll just do this a few more times, just find your own rhythm. Of, of belly breath, the rib cage, and the base of the throat. And you might find that's, that certain areas may feel a little bit harder to breathe into. You may find this may feel relaxing. You may, you may have challenges with this. And as a, as a therapist, I, I'm, I'm always seeking to meet people right where they might be having a little bit of resistance or, or or difficulty because inside of that, if, if someone has a hard time breathing fully, to me that's evidence of a history with some kind of uh, experience or circumstance that was either you know not conducive for relaxation or safety. And so I would just be with them in that, and I would want you know, they went home to, you know, if kind of finding this challenging to recognize that that's, it's all part of the work and there isn't like, this isn't like a right or wrong kind of thing. It's all just a process of getting to know our bodies and and being, um, you know, more in tune with them because our bodies are in this natural kind of symphonic dance with our minds. And so our mind can send our, our body information to say, like, breathe shallow, 
And if and we find if we if we breathe shallow, it actually activates the this the stress response, this like fight, flight, freeze response that we may not be intending to activate, but are activating based on the way that we're breathing. And and then we're in this constant state of stress and we don't know why. And we in back in, in, in you know back in the days when we weren't separated from nature and did have apex predators that were hunting us down in in the woods. Mm-hmm. You know, the, it would be really important to be able to activate the body into an immediate you know flight response by by breathing shallow and running and 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 climbing trees and doing whatever we had to do to evade a predator. But now, but now you know, like like. Peter Levine says that like the tiger is in our minds mm-hmm. and, and so we're constantly struggling and we're constantly f- fleeing or fighting or freezing. And so, so, so learning to kind of to find these ni- nice deep breaths is a way, is a simple way to bring more awareness to the body. We, we, we hopefully spend some time you know, taking care of how we prepare our food. We eat, you know, three meals a day. We breathe 21 to 24,000 times a day. And what, how are we preparing our breath? Mm-hmm. And, and that actually, this is, this is a, a deep nourishment that if, you know, if we're not nourishing ourselves, we're just like a plant that's being underwatered and it'll droop. And, and so, you know, understanding how we breathe is, I think, a quintessential part of understanding our mood. Yeah, especially like you were saying, with this being part of the fight or flight response, right? Like you're giving your body instructions to be in this a tiger's going to eat me mode <laughs> just by breathing in a way that you may not even be aware of. So by paying more attention to the breath, you could be resetting your body a little bit into a more parasympathetic state, which in turn can have a domino effect on so many other parts of your life, whether it's how well you're sleeping or your, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Your, your immune system, right? Like your immune system can be compromised by being in a consistently stressed state. There are so many different aspects of your health that may be able to change with this one little root, like one tip of the domino by reassessing your breath and learning how to breathe in a more relaxing and restful way. I feel like this is such a beautiful entry point to understanding in a, in a physical experiential way, like what somatic therapy can do. And it's just the very tip of the iceberg, I feel. So you use somatic therapy, not just by itself, but as a piece of a puzzle, piece of the therapeutic puzzle. If you were listening earlier, nice and attentive, you heard that he said mind, body, soul, correct? So three parts, mind, body, soul. (laughs) I was listening. (laughs) So this is one part, a very special and integral part. Let's talk about how you use this in your unique approach as part of the 360 therapy, the Jason special recipe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Thanks for, for asking. So I would say well, we've covered a little bit about working with the mind and the body, and I'll share a little bit about what I mean when I say working with soul. When I say soul, I, I mean that which connects this body to, to, to all that is beyond it. And so there's so many ways into that. Um, one of the ways into that is into the, we have a physical body, but we also have an energy body. And this, this body in, in some ways is an expression of the, the electricity in our body and electromagnetic field of our body. You know, the, the, the subtle body that is, you know, matter is made up of energy. And so, you know, we are made up of matter. So there's an energy body that's kind of, that's invisible, but, but yet I found through my work incredibly tangible because I can do the same exact meditations and offer the same tools to a, a vast variety of people and get similar results, which points to the evidence of something that I think science will catch up to. Um, the yogis called it the aura. You know, there's the mm-hmm. chakra system. The, the chakras, you know, line up with the the glandular system. So these mm-hmm. these, the, the, these the glandular systems, like the nectar of the body, 
in these like points where there's all this, this nerve bundles that are these like electrical centers. So they're kind of in some ways, I think of it like, like different, um, like almost like different stars and in, in this kind of constellation that is our body. And we're so tuned into the head all the time that we miss all this other, all this other information. And so in my work as a somatic psychotherapist, I was still finding that there were limitations to, to working with the body and continued my trainings and my own explorations and developing meditations. I, I, I deeply feel a lot of the suffering in this world in my body. What's that about? How, who's explaining this? How, how, how do we make sense of such a thing? And, and this is where, this is how I understand how, how soul can connect us, that it connects us to the collective experience. And so yeah. part of this work is, you know, when we're feeling fear, whose fear are we feeling? This is a fundamental question of working with soul because we, we can take on the feelings of others by living in these systems of families and communities and um, hemispheres and, and you know we're, we're you know who, who knows what if you're feeling something that is your neighbors that you've never even introduced yourself to because you're just living in such proximity to each other right and and so just opening up our scope of awareness to what's out there also has I found has offered people a great deal of help especially sensitive people who can tend to be the ones that come to therapy because this world is troubled and some people are more suited to to not feel and that's resourcing in its own way and, and there are i think in the human village i think there are people we need people who are steadier who don't feel as much because we kind of need a diverse amount of experiences to get the maximum diversity creates life and so right. we need a diverse amount of human experiences inside of the human village and some people for some people that's going to be feel less, but we're also living in a world that's trained us. And this is in some ways where the, the, soul, the soul connects to the mind. It's the, all those systems that, that we're living inside of, you know, connect to the systems of, of oppression that are living, that, are, that created this situation that we're living in, that have trained us and taught us to be obedient citizens, mm -hmm. um, to, to judge each other. To, to, you know, to blame one another and have these kinds of really intense um, viewpoints that ultimately just continue to create more and more separation. And, you know, in some ways, it's like when humanity separates itself, it, it, it eats itself. And it's just, just kind of, it's some, we're like a herd species. It's almost like we're just kind of like a unique cow that's living in this, in this one big herd as a human family. And when we start to start to destroy one another, the whole human family suffers. And this is, this is, a, this is my own ex experience of how to make sense of how we can feel so much suffering that's outside of our own life. Right. Um, and, and so I'm just driven to help people to, to understand the systems also that we live in the historical systems um, that have trained us to, to, to sacrifice ourselves, to, um, mm -hmm. to not understand ourselves. And, and so, so, and that's kind of how the, how the collective connects back to the mind. And so the mind, body, soul connects in kind of a circle to me. And so in a session, I'm <laughs> exactly, um, you know, that I might just kind of be leaving all of those, together that we're like, we might be talking about a story um, about what happened in the week and how you're feeling really um, a lot of, a lot of, you know, bitterness and we might go into the heart and then we might find um, a lot of tension there. And then we might do some energy work to um, help cultivate forgiveness and release the bitterness. And then we might, you know, kind of connect it to the ways in which we were trained by our parents and they were trained by their parents and then by their parents to um, to hold a grudge, and then we might you know be able to release that by just having that awareness, and we're kind of weaving those three together all the time. And you know, it's my hope is that people will come out of the work 
just feeling fully alive and, 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 and like themselves. And I deeply believe that everyone has something to share in this world and that we just created so much conditioning and, um, and training to make people believe that they're worthless and that they're, and, and then they, they do, they want to do one of two things. The trauma, the traumatized do one of two things. They either, they either explode and they become the traumatizer or they implode and they, they fall into depression and addiction. And Mm -hmm. I just see this happening all around me and I just feel compelled to help. Well, we're glad you're doing it. I'm glad you're doing it. I, I personally really relate, and I'm sure a lot of people listening right now do as well, just feeling so much of what other people are feeling. And when we were talking about those who can compartmentalize a little bit more and have trained themselves to not feel like, what is that like? And obviously that does serve a purpose, like you said, but I can't help but wonder, and I would love to get your take on this. It's a little bit of a diversion from our topic. But it, <laughs> feels, it feels to me a little bit like a symptom of patriarchal culture in which we are told that emoting, like feeling emotions and expressing emotions is feminine and therefore a weakness. And it's more celebrated to not feel. We're taught to not respect or appreciate emotion. Obviously, I'm coming from a little bit of a biased perspective as a woman and a very emotional individual. Uh, But it seems as though even the word vulnerability it can be used in the context of, oh, it's very courageous to be vulnerable, right? Like you're you're showing some of yourself that takes a lot of courage or let's target their vulnerability because that's their weak point. That's their Achilles heel. So it's looked at as something that should, in my opinion, be perceived as courage is looked at as a weakness. Emoting, all of these things are feminine, are bad. We're trained to disconnect from those feelings, even as women men especially, I would say, um, all individuals. And then there's the separation there. And then there's the separation in our physical experience and our nerve feelings and our emotional feelings and our energetic feelings, because we're not supposed to feel, we're just supposed to do and produce. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I, I agree. I think there is a part of the separation hierarchy has has put thought on top of feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And that there's um, that there's a the part of the trauma leads us to feel like well it, when we're emotional we can't be trusted that there's right. a, a and this is you know and I just see it I, I don't fall for it I just see it as a, as a trauma response to ha- to having not been cared for when we felt so much ah uh, okay so we can trust our emotions yeah. Yeah, well the, well, the question, again, comes back to whose emotions are we feeling? So, uh, so okay. it, it's, not, it's, it's not so simple, I, I, it, you know, and I, um, I, I would have, you know, a general degree of openness and curiosity about, around thoughts and feelings, but I, I would see them as, you know, as two um, vital components in the ecosystem of being a human being that, that live in harmony, that they're not, they're not in opposition the way that we're just constantly putting everything in opposition, which is also part of this, this, this disastrous kind of way in which we, we, we come, we've kind of seen the world. And, and part of this, part of what I think my job, and I think this also relates to being, having started as an elementary school art teacher is to see that the, I notice that the quality of, 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 mental health can reflect the quality of our imagination and we're not given a we're not giving an inspiring world um to grow up in we're not and uh-huh. in some ways our, our choices devoid us of of inspiration and 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 we could say hatred in its most extreme form, is a failure of imagination to imagine what actually could also be possible. Uh, and so it's, it's so, like linked with empathy almost. Sure. It, that, the, the connection, empathy is, you know, to imagine the feelings of another. Right. You know, to, fe- to feel that, to feel, to f- you know, to, that, that, that takes a leap. And yeah. I, 
I, I really feel a purpose in my heart to help inspire people um, to imagine uh, a world that um, inside of their minds can, can, be, can, can be caring and compassionate to themselves and to other people. And, um, and I think it's all possible. And I think that a lot of the stuff that we live inside of really can, can be removed, it can be re released, it can be let go. Um, I think our humanity is always there. I think it just gets buried underneath this stuff. And, um, and I found ways to really help um, and feel driven. Somatic therapy can be one route back to one's humanity, back to healing. That's right. That's right. So yes. Is there anyone who wouldn't want to experience somatic therapy or someone who should avoid it? Like, is it too triggering for anyone? Are there any risks? Or is this something that's kind of like generally recognized as safe and pretty good for everyone? Yeah, it's a beautiful question. And I would say that um, sadly, our bodies haven't always been safe places. Mm -hmm. And so in some ways there is something very resourcing about being able to be in our mind. And I, I've worked with people that I've, I've, I can, can tune into it quite quickly, but I can tell that they, they need to be in their mind and that's okay. And I, I welcome that. There's no for, I mean, it's not like you get a medal if you can do the mind, body, soul <laughs> triathlon, <laughs> you know, it's, it, you know, it's, it's all okay. You know, I just, it's wanting to meet people where they are at. Um, and there's, there's beauty in, in, in everything if we can just find it. So it's like, let's, let's, let's figure out what's here for them. Um, and maybe at a certain time they'll be ready to do this. And so, you know, it could be overwhelming even, you know, to, to even maybe perhaps done the, the breath exercise. Um, I, I, you know, I want to make space that, that it's, that, you know, even something so simple as just like being more embodied can bring up memories of, of when, of when, you know, life wasn't so safe. And so it's really is important to be with someone who is really um, a therapist and that, you know, I, I really see ther like being a therapist as like a verb, like you can get a title as a therapist. Mm -hmm. But if you're not actually helping someone, if you're not actually healing, you know, helping someone regain their humanity and their, their sense of balance, um, I don't think you're actually being a therapist. So I really, I really encourage if, if folks are seeking a therapist that you don't feel like a deep connection with to keep looking. And, and, and I assure you that they're out there. Yep. Um, but it is really important to find someone that you really trust and that really is um, capable and, um, you know, prepared and ready to, to be a therapist. So I would say, you know, be, be open to, if you feel like, you know, being in your mind is just the place that you want to stay, stay. You haven't done any therapy. I would say, you know, start with maybe some traditional talk therapy, get some awareness of, of the thoughts and, you know, the different histories there and maybe, that therapist might have some somatic tools that they can weave in as you start to feel safe in the space, um, or maybe seek someone else out who has some, some credentials that, and ultimately, but don't settle on credentials. Like it's all about the feeling when you're, when you're in the presence. Right. Like the therapist is more doing than being right. Like they're, they're walking the walk. They're proving that they're, I don't, it may be proving it's not the right word, but it's more of like the energy match that they are like active in this relationship, not just credentialed, like you were saying. Yes, right. So this can be a kind of a daunting experience for a lot of people, especially if they're feeling down or they're genuinely experiencing like bona fide depression or going through something else that would just present a challenge in finding a therapist. Do you have any suggestions for finding someone you connect with, any potential resources, especially if someone's interested in somatic therapy as well? I feel like this is a good point in the, in our conversation to say, okay, now what, where do we go from here? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's harder to find a good therapist than, than it's kind of like finding a friend in some ways, you know, you know, or even, you know, you know, scanning profiles can be like, even like 
going on, like going on a, you know, an internet date, like you can kind of <laughs> like the photo, you can like what they say, but you know, I mean, as soon as you meet them, you know, that it's not going to work <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's okay. I would trust your intuition and you know, it's okay to also to be, be open. I actually, I would say, you know, it's also my, the first therapist that I, that really ever, I connected with. I actually, t- I had a few really terrible therapists through my <laughs> um, through my early thirties, and didn't think therapy worked. <laughs> <laughs> the irony. <laughs> this deep, deep irony. Um, but I, you know, I had a therapist that would go on to um, change my life and help me to recognize that process that I, I I was a therapist and had always been one. And for the first few weeks, I just wasn't sure because she was so calm and, and quiet that I, it was hard for me, you know, with, with where I was at in my own development to be able to almost to trust that because I, I just wasn't sure what, what she was thinking or what, you know, what she, I, I, so it took some time. So I would say that also there's a caveat to like, when you know, you, you might know immediately because we're kind of bringing our own past projections into into where we where we come, especially when we're not really aware of them, and so it didn't take that long, but it took a few sessions for me to actually relax and to be able to realize that there was a real deep sense of safety here and um, a different sense of kind of, um, of of a relational experience that I had never really had before. So I, I would encourage you to to look around and to not stop trying. And, uh, <laughs> and, and to be brave, if, if you're inter- interested in, in learning more about my work, I, I run a small practice of my body soul, um, psychotherapists who, um, we're doing some really profound work in the world. You can learn more about our work at shadowlightcenter.com. And that's hyperlinked in the episode description. So you can click on that now, if you want to check out more of Jason's practice and the other therapists. I know that you've mentioned to me as well um, that another resource specifically for somatic therapy, if people want to read more, Bessel van der Kolk, is that correct? Mm, that's right. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a great, that's a, that's, that can be a really great accessible way into, into this work. His kind of seminal work, The Body Keeps the Score, mm-hmm. um, could, could offer a, a way to, to read about and understand somatic therapy. So I find that as like an easy recommendation when someone is curious. And, um, and you know, there certainly are resources online. There's books you can read. But I also think there's something about this that, that does, there's a magic to it that, that, that kind of defies logic that really just happens when one person is with another person and, and that person is so dedicated to listening and being with that person. There's something that just seems to happen. In, in the human psyche that allows it to heal. It's that connection too, right? There's another person involved. You're connecting versus going on this solo journey. Not, not to knock the solo journeys, but the, the theme of a lot of what we've been talking about is unity versus disconnection within the mind and body, with each other, with the planet, with other cultures. Like the, the, the antidote here is, is the unity and the connection. So it's cool on solo journeys and reading more, but um, like you were saying, the magic is, is really with the, the connection. One question from one of our listeners in the This Is Fine community. They are very interested in somatic therapy for healing maybe a physical issue that could possibly be connected to obviously an emotional experience, past experience. The question was, can I use somatic therapy to heal my IBS? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say somatic therapy will be a, an extremely valuable participant in the healing process. I would say that there is a correlation between having an anxious digestive system and an unchecked awareness of our own body. You know, and so we manifest that anxiety in our, I might really spend a lot of time with someone who's experiencing digestion issues about well, what, what do you, what do you feel in your belly? What, you know, I, I feel all this anxiety, you know, like, let's stay with that. Wow. How, how can we help you with that? Because that anxiety creates tension. That tension can really just kind of wreak havoc. And it also might also 
lead us to eat in different ways. And this is where somatic therapy also will be a component of this because, you know, it would be important to look at you know, what that person's eating, how they're eating it. Are they eating it in a stressed out state all the time? Are they, you know, what, t- you know, are they eating all this food um, and washing it down with all this alcohol and then, you know, going to sleep and doing all these different things that are, that are also kind of challenging the body's ability to heal. And so I, I would say that, you know, we, we would want to look at the systems that are creating this to see what can change and creating more awareness and peace and relaxation in the body as a whole is a, is a factor. It's certainly not the only one, but it's a factor to, to help in, in different body-based ailments like IBS. Amazing. This is great. Um, I hope the listener at home is uh, excited to try some somatic therapy as part of their healing journey as well. We do have an episode on hot girls with IBS if you need more information on that. Jason, thank you so much. This was such a beautiful talk. You have shared such an incredible practice. I know this is going to going to be an access point that changes so many people's lives. This introduction to a new way of healing and being and living and connecting. Thank you so much. We would love to have you on another episode soon. (laughs) Dominique, I'd love to be back. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey today. If you loved today's episode, we would be so grateful if you left us a five-star review on whichever streaming platform you've chosen to listen on. We're taking a little break for the holidays, so don't forget to go back and check out our gift guide and favorite things of 2023 if you want to do a little holiday shopping because teehee capitalism. (laughs) Kidding, kidding, obviously. Just go find your joy. We'll come back in the new year with a 2024 astro forecast from Shannon, so get excited for that. I'm also planning lots of American and France expat interviews and episodes for you. Let us know what else you want to hear. I'm fine at thisisfinepodcast.com. Happy holidays, my precious and beautiful angels. I am sending you the warmest hugs, love and light, gros bisous from Paris. I am off to eat a lot of tartiflette and raclette at the Christmas markets and see the Nutcracker Ballet at the Paris Opera. I'll let you know how it goes. See you soon. Merry Christmas. Joyeuse fête. A bientôt. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of This Is Fine. I've been your host, Dominique Michelle Astorino. We're based in San Diego, recording in studio at DLI Productions in Pacific Beach with Emmy Award-winning sound designer Dan De La Isla. This is a comedy and advice podcast, but for legal reasons, this entire podcast is a joke and none of it is medical advice. To download the transcript or learn more, visit thisisfinepodcast.com.